Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, what Washington still might accomplish before the 2020 elections and when doing the right thing becomes a risk factor. But first, the tech lashes unexpected winner. Over the past couple of years, there has been tons of political and media pressure on big tech, and in particular, giants like Facebook, Google, and Amazon. But one that's largely escaped scrutiny is Microsoft, even though it's one of the industry's best-known names and most valuable companies. And to that point, if you put together the market caps of Facebook, Netflix, and Twitter, they still wouldn't come close to Microsoft's $961 billion. In short, the Windows maker has become Teflon to the tech lash. Maybe not beloved by consumers like it was 20 years ago, but also not feared by them or resented by them. So how does a giant like this go unnoticed? One way is muscle memory, as Microsoft went through a bruising antitrust fight in the early 2000s, which taught it how to work with Washington, D.C. rather than against Washington, D.C. Another has been by proactively recognizing potential tech landmines, things like facial recognition and publicly calling for regulation. It's also created some goodwill by pledging half a billion dollars for affordable housing in its home market of Seattle, while its co-founder and former CEO Bill Gates is now better known as a malaria-fighting philanthropist than as a conniving tech giant. To be sure, this isn't all about altruism. Microsoft is a for-profit company with a lot of profit. And there's some case to be made that the kid gloves reflect how Microsoft is no longer quite so important a brand, well, among kids. But at the very least, Microsoft may become a role model for other younger tech giants to follow. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Managing Editor Kim Hart. But first, this. Bridgebank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios Managing Editor Kim Hart, who wrote this morning about Microsoft's deft maneuvering through the tech lash. So, Kim, let's just start with why did you decide to write about this topic now? Well, this is something that I've been kind of thinking about over the past six months as I've watched so many of the other big tech companies go through their own crises and scandal to scandal and how they've managed some of the increased scrutiny in Washington and the debate over regulation. And it just occurred to me that time and time again, Microsoft, at least you know, in its recent iteration, has really kind of played it pretty shrewdly when it comes to interacting with policymakers and putting forth some recommendations for what regulation could look like or should look like, or kind of just kind of being the adult in the room, if you will. And so there was no news reason to write it now, but it was something that I've been thinking about for a while as the tech lash, so to speak, you know, continues to gain steam in different parts of the world. And I wanted to put it all together in one place. You know, you talk about it being the adult in the room and kind of today's Microsoft is compared to, say, the Microsoft 20 years ago. And, and that older version, of course, had its major, major interactions with the government and troubles with the government, you know, a huge antitrust lawsuit. How much of that experience from decades ago now do you think informs Microsoft today? The current CEO, Satya Nadella, the current chief legal officer, they were both there. Yeah, I think it really hugely shaped what the company is today and how they think about these issues. When you think about Satya and Brad, they've both 
both been with the company for more than 25 years. That's longer than most tech executives have been working, period. I mean, if you think about Mark Zuckerberg and others. so It's longer than some have been alive, too. That, yep. that is true. And, you know, they learned hard lessons and they learned it the hard way, but they learned the lessons. They're able to draw from those now. And that's not to say that they, you know, handled it perfectly 20 years ago when they were going through their own scuffles with Washington. I think, you know, and Brad, and when talking to him about this, has been pretty open. Like, we made a lot of mistakes and we didn't handle it that well at first. And it wasn't until we were willing to look at ourselves the way that others were looking at us that we realized how we needed to then interact with the government and what kind of settlements needed to be made and what kind of concessions or agreements or negotiations that they were willing to put on the table that I think it's taking the current tech giants, you know, Facebook and Google and Amazon and others, they're going through the similar process now. And I think that's why, you know, the information reported that Mark Zuckerberg called Brad Smith for some advice on how to handle the current situation they found themselves in, because Brad has seen it all, kind of gone through it all, suffered the blows and has the scars to show for it, but also has that maturity that only comes with experience and going through some of those things that the current uh, CEOs and executives are trying to look at for their own roadmap. You know, and when you compare it to, say, you know, Zuckerberg, Bezos, et cetera, how much of this do you think, in part, at least popular perception or maybe even government regulator perception, is that the person who is most commonly associated in the public sphere with Microsoft, which is Bill Gates, isn't Microsoft anymore? He's now viewed as a philanthropist, not as kind of a, a conniving tech wizard. That's a good point. But I think that's also just a function of the age of Microsoft. You know, it's one of the the, the biggest corporations and has been one of the most well-known brands uh, for a long time. While Bill Gates will still, you know, forever be associated with Microsoft, I think that, you know, Wall Street and others have really moved on from that. They know Bill Gates isn't the one leading the show. And Brad Smith, I think, really has become such a constant presence, at least in Washington. I mean, he, one of the points I make in my piece is that a lot of other executives you know, really have to be dragged kicking and screaming to Washington when they're hauled up in front of Congress or they really don't want to have to deal with D.C. They want to be in Silicon Valley doing what they do best, innovating, creating products, uh, thinking about the next iteration of technology. Brad, he's made a concerted effort to kind of be the ambassador for Microsoft in not only Washington, but Brussels and other countries abroad. Let's look at the flip side of this, though, for a second, Kim. Could part of this also be, and, and this is while Microsoft's stock has had this massive run, could this also be in part a reflection of Microsoft's failure to be seen by people as kind of a preeminent consumer tech brand. In the early 2000s, everybody used Microsoft basically for everything, which is why when a new Windows came out, there'd be lines down the street of people trying to get it. Now, most people don't really view Microsoft as a major part of their life, even if on the back end or in the office it is. That's very true. And I think that, that in itself is a cautionary tale and one that companies like Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Google are very aware of. The antitrust battle that Microsoft went through sucked up so much resources that they really ceded a lot of ground competitively to the other companies. You know, they had a lot of opportunities to own the smartphone market, for example, uh, the tablet market, even email. And they lost out to Google and Apple because they were still kind of focusing so much on how to deal with this massive legal fight. And that really hurt them for a good 15 years until they really started to shift and have become more of an enterprise company with their cloud services. That does mean that they aren't as consumer facing. 
And while they're still extremely well known because so many people at work use Windows and Microsoft Office still, they do have a bit of a deficit to fill there in terms of just the consumer cachet. Kim, final question for you. Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, was interviewed uh, by Yahoo Finance recently and got asked, quote, uh, is the bloom off the rose for the tech industry in the eyes of so many Americans? And Schmidt basically said he disagreed with it. He basically said this tech lash, which we are talking about Microsoft winning, is kind of a uh, construct of us, of folks in the media, maybe some folks in D.C. How do you respond to that? I think that's kind of short-sighted. I mean, I've heard that argument before that the tech lash is really just a D.C. and Davos question, right? It's just something that the elites talk about or, you know, it's something that's been really driven by regulators or media, you know, looking to to drive clicks who have their own axe to grind against the tech industry. But I think that the tech industry is... It has matured to a point and has grown to have so much power that it is getting more attention from consumers. And the more that comes out about privacy and how much data it's collecting, it is driving a narrative that I don't think is manufactured. Thank you very much, Kim Hart, Managing Editor of Axios. My final two, right after this. With offices in tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, and now Seattle, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the White House, which actually might be trying to push forward some major legislative accomplishments before turning all eyes toward re-election. Axios reports this morning that Trump's senior advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner has been quietly working on a wide-ranging immigration plan that would deal with illegal immigration, legal immigration, asylum laws, seasonal guest worker programs, and border security. In other words, the sort of comprehensive agenda that could get some Democrats to the table rather than the past strategy of we want a wall and nothing but a wall. There's also word this morning that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer will meet with Trump next week to discuss infrastructure, a big 2016 pledge with possible bipartisan support that so far has gone nowhere. Now, both immigration and infrastructure remain long shots to result in meaningful legislation, but at least there is some movement. And finally this morning, there's Fastly, a San Francisco-based content delivery network that last week filed for an IPO. Now, each of these filings includes a section on so-called risk factors, usually things like competition or litigation. But Fastly writes that it's taken actions that it believes are in the best interests of its customers and business, even if they don't maximize short-term financial results. Things like, quote, not knowingly allowing our platform to be used to deliver content from groups that promote violence or hate or that conflict with strong ethical principles of integrity, end quote. Fastly says such moves could result in negative publicity, at least in some quarters, and is therefore a risk factor for shareholders. Hopefully, it's the sort of risk that more companies begin explicitly taking. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national pigs in a blanket day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.